It is good to see all of you today at this hour of worship. Glad to have you here if you're visiting with us. We do hope that you'll be back to worship with us again on many future occasions. A couple of uh, quick announcements. One uh, regarding Bible school that begins this evening um, at 6 o'clock, Saddle Ridge Ranch Vacation Bible School. Um, lessons and songs that they learned during this week will be presented next Sunday morning at the early service, uh, 9 o'clock service, if you want to come and, and hear some children's uh, wonderful music. Also, you can sign up today for the first Wonderful Wednesday, which is uh, June the 16th. Uh, please see Katie Jeter to sign up today. You may also sign up online at greerchurch.com or through a tear-out that is in your bulletin today. Um, please note that the location for the church-wide Family Fun Day on Sunday, June 27th, has been changed due to a mistake in the uh, county uh, rec department or what, whoever handles the uh, signing up. Uh, it has been moved to Lake Cunningham, um, the shelter there on the 27th, uh, from 5 until 8, and we uh, invite you to be there for an afternoon of food, fun, and fellowship. That's at Lake Cunningham, the last Sunday of the month. In your bulletin today, you were given a Saddle Ridge Ranch prayer card. I just want to call attention to that. Um, children will be coming to, to the Bible school, and this is a chance for you to participate by prayer in the work of the Bible School. We ask you to take these home and be guided by the request on every, each and every day. Today is day number one because we're beginning Sunday night and we will end on Thursday night. So join us in prayer um, for our young people and their, their teachers as we gather together beginning tonight. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
Affirmation of Faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881. Let us unite in this historic confession of the faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and ascended at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge us the quick and dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, Be seated, please. This time we invite the children to come forward to join Lee Dumas for a few moments of sharing. microphones work. Oh, there we go. Now we can hear it. So we're doing well today. Guess what I brought out today? What do you see? Jelly beans. And guess who knows how many jelly beans are in this container? Any guesses? I think God does too, but I, I actually know. Do you want to try to guess how many jelly beans are in here? Any guesses? You don't want to guess? How do you want to guess there, Mr. Shannon? 50? 250? What do you say, my man? Any guesses? You look like a 300 man. What do you think? A hundred? What do you think? There's no. Okay, let me tell you. The count at the early service this morning was 953. Can you believe that? 953 jelly beans in here. Now, I will tell you that I think the count's a little off because I think the person that was holding the jelly beans ate a few of them between the early service and this one. So there might be about maybe 920 or so in there. They probably had about 20 jelly beans. Well, isn't it interesting? Now, you stole my thunder, man. You told me that God knew how many jelly beans were in here, too. I want to read a little scripture this morning from Matthew. Let's think about this for a minute. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of the Father? Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So God cares about birds, and he seems to care about jelly beans, and guess what? He cares about how many hairs that we have on our head as well. So isn't it nice to know that God cares about each one of us, and he created each one of us with a purpose? And that means that he cares for us, and he's going to always be with us, and he's going to guide us in every way. What do you think? Aren't you glad that we know God today? And aren't you glad that he knows how many hairs that we have on our head and that he cares about us, right? How many of you want a jelly bean before you take off? Raise your hand. Okay. All right, let's have a prayer. Bow your heads. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for caring so much about the birds and, and nature itself and, and for so many of us. And thank you for caring about the, the number of hairs on our head. You really do care about each one of us and you've created each one of us to serve you and, and for a specific purpose. And help us to always remember that and to be comforted by that. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. I see where the children have another opportunity a little later today. Um, as we begin our second hymn, Beverly Davis will be taking a group up to the library to get some books, and so uh, we remind the children of that in a few minutes. Our Old Testament lesson is one of the wonderful great stories, uh, 1 Kings 17, 8 through 24. Then the word of the Lord came to him, meaning uh, Elijah, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon to stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and then die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son for this is what the Lord says the God of Israel says the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land she went away and did as Elijah told her so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What have you against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? 
Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and he laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this woman I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room to the house, into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Here ends the lesson. This time we are privileged to share in the sacrament of uh, baptism for Walker James Burdett and at the same time receive his parents, Adam and Mackenzie, uh, into our church family today. I invite them to come forward and any of the family that wishes to also stand with them to do so as we gather here at the uh, front of the church here. know any parents that can raise children nowadays without help of the kin folks. <laughs> okay. uh, first let me say a word of welcome to um, Mackenzie uh, and to Adam. Uh, Adam comes to us from Lyman uh, Baptist Church, Lyman Baptist and Mackenzie from uh, Appalach Baptist Church. And so we're glad to have them transfer into our church and our denomination. Um, we fully recognize and appreciate their Christian tradition um, in their previous church and denomination. And the fact of the matter is, half of these folks used to be Baptists, so you're in good company. <laughs> uh, a lot of swapping happens with marriage and whatnot across the years of denomination switching around. But we're glad to have you here, and all we ask is that you continue the life of discipleship that you began elsewhere in our presence. And so in light of that, I simply ask you one question, and that is, will you be loyal to the, the Lord through the United Methodist Church and continue to serve him as your Savior and support this church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? If so, will you say we will? That's great. Dearly beloved, uh, before I start, please turn to page 44 in your hymnal. Dearly beloved, baptism is an outward and visible sign of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which grace we become partakers of his righteousness and heirs of life eternal. Those receiving the sacrament are thereby marked as Christian disciples and initiated into the fellowship of Christ's holy church. Our Lord has expressly given to little children a place among the people of God, which holy privilege must not be denied them. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Beloved, do you in presenting this child for holy baptism confess your faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? If so, will you say we do? 
Do you therefore accept as your bounden duty and privilege to live before this child a life that becomes the gospel, to exercise all godly care that he be brought up in the Christian faith, that he be taught the holy scriptures, and that he learn to give reverent attendance upon the private and public worship of God? If so, will you say we do? Will you endeavor to keep this child under the ministry and guidance of the church until he, by the power of God, shall accept for himself the gift of salvation and be confirmed as a full and, and responsible member of Christ's holy church? If so, will you say, we will? Penny and I are so ready for grandchildren. <laughs> of course, I reckon we ought to get them married, but anyway. Our epistle reading is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was, it, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely jealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, 
was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in the time of prayer. Lord, through all the times of life, we find that you're with us, that you're there, that in the nurturing baptism of a little child, you're here with us in the streets where we live, in times of difficulty and stress, you're there. In the hospital, those who are sick find that you are still with them. And even in death, O oh Lord, you are there to hold our hand as we cross over from this world into the next. Indeed, where can we go that you're not already there? There is no escape from your spirit, for your love is with us always, and we are grateful for this. We're inspired by great stories of the faith, like Elijah, who helped a family survive, including the reviving of a dying son during a time of severe famine everywhere else. But his trust was in you, and so he survived that hard economic time. Thank you, Lord, that you are seeing us through the difficult days that we've been living in as a nation, as a world, and you are at work to bless us and to cause healing to come to all of us in our daily lives. We're thankful that no matter what resistance we might mount against your spirit, like, like Saul of Tarsus did, there was no avoiding the truth ultimately for him. And we're grateful that you opened his eyes through an act of blindness and restoration of sight, that Paul might be able to come to us in our day through the written pages to remind us that this good news of the gospel is not something that we humans made up. It is a story that you wrote in Christ Jesus our Lord, beginning in a manger and ending upon an empty tomb and upon a cross before that. But the tomb is empty, and we are grateful for that. Lord, we are thankful that this good news that we believe assures us that we are pardoned and forgiven and that we belong to you. Lord, we remember this day our friends and neighbors in special times of need. We especially remember those in hospital beds who are sick, those recovering from surgeries or illnesses. We pray for these and we lift them before your throne of grace as we pray the prayer our Lord taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. By giving.
Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Here ends the lesson. Having lived in many places in the upper half of South Carolina in these last 35 years, from Rock Hill to Edgefield and uh, about 17 or 18 years now in the upstate, I have enjoyed uh, experiencing the slightly different customs from one area to the other as we've moved around. Each place has its unique ways and its unique colorful phrases as well. I think I've told you before that down in Saluda, nobody had children. What you had down there was chaps, and grandchaps. At church covered dish dinners, nobody put helping, uh, heaping helpings on their, their plates. Instead, they would take out, take out. I guess they meant to take out plenty of food from the bowl to put on your plate. But one of the strangest phrases I've heard in various places, but it seemed to be most popular over in the Rock Hill area, was used when someone died during the night in their sleep. People would say, well, he woke up dead, which I never quite understood, but it's pretty descriptive, isn't it? Well, he woke up dead. Well, I thought about that when I read this story this week because Jesus had a way of waking up dead, except it is the dead he woke up. Uh, someone said that Jesus messed up every funeral he ever attended, and it's true. At the tomb of Lazarus, in the home of Jairus, and in this town of Nain, when he encountered a funeral procession, procession of the only son of the widow, the Lord of life disrupted these funerals. And in this case, he brought the deceased son back to life. Jesus woke up the dead. We also read today the story of how Elijah brought back uh, someone from the dead to life, the only son of the widow of Zarephath. Great miracles were connected with Elijah, and it was thought that Elijah or one like him would come to usher in the messianic age. As strange as it might sound to us, these first century people would have been expecting the arrival of a great prophet to be accompanied by miracles 
such as the raising of the dead. And so these miracles from Jesus did not surprise people as much then as they would today <coughs> because of the expected miracles associated with the coming of a great prophet. In the early days of Jesus' ministry, that's how they thought of him too, as a great prophet. Only later did they come to see that he was much more than that. We also need to remember that that was a different age where we, we didn't have back then what you've got now, which is a doctor to certify that someone is indeed dead and someone quickly to come from wood to, uh, to uh, take care of the situation. Back then, of course, my father talked about this. I guess about 100 years ago or so, they used to have wakes for, um, for people in times of death because you waited a while to see if the person would wake up um, rather than actually really be dead. So that's another thing that this story is set in and helps us understand why people uh, reacted a little differently in those days. Jesus enjoyed telling stories of Jesus' special love for those on the lowest rung of society, especially women. He also enjoyed telling about the times when Jesus acted before anybody asked him to. In this story, these two wonderful Lucan ideas come together. Now, there was no one more helpless in the ancient world than a woman who was without a husband or a son. <coughs> She would have no one to provide for her daily needs. She would be left to depend upon charity. Jesus was moved with pity for this widow. His heart went out to her, we are told. It's a wonderful thing for us to re remember that Jesus is one who feels other people's pains as if that pain was his own. And here he answers a prayer before it is prayed giving mercy before it's asked for, doing this for no other reason than his heart went out to one who was hurting. The relationship of Jesus to the women of his era is not only worthy of study, it's also worthy of our imitating. He treated women as equals in a day when they were most often treated as possessions uh, at the very best. In Jesus, women had long last found a man who really cared about them just because they were children of God, not for some selfishness that they might provide. Paul, you know, in Scripture encourages men to treat older women as our mothers and younger women as our sisters with absolute purity. If you ask many women in today's uh, workforce out there, they will tell you that this is not the kind of treatment that they get usually from the men that work with them. And that's a scathing indictment against us, fellas. Men, it is time that we do our part to encourage Christian men everywhere to follow in Jesus' footsteps and to be men that women can feel safe with always. In response to the way that they were treated by Jesus, these women became the major financial backers for Jesus' ministry. Now you know the male disciples didn't know a thing about sewing and cooking, and they were all poorer than Job's turkey. 
If these women hadn't had rich husbands that they could convince to let go of some of their money for the support of Jesus' work, Jesus would have had a very difficult time getting by day by day without the basic necessities of life. You know, things really haven't changed across the many years. The work of the church has always been carried by the women of the church. Just ask any pastor, and they will tell you that the success of their church depends on the women of the church. We couldn't have Sunday school without the women. How many of you men have signed up to teach Sunday school for children? We couldn't have a choir. Offerings would be very stingy. Without the United Methodist women, our denomination would not be doing half the mission work that we're doing at home and around the world. You want something done in any church? Ask the women. 30 years ago, the Book of Discipline was changed as we decided to break up the last male-dominated committee in the church, the Board of Trustees. Now, there has to be three women on that committee of nine. There were several reasons for this change. First is, women brought a different perspective to decisions regarding property, affecting parsonage furnishings and maintenance more than, than anything else. We used to laugh in the early days of my ministry. The attitude in most churches was, people in church would say, well, our, our sofa's gotten old. What shall we do with it? Oh, let's give it to the preacher for the parsonage. <laughs> Women got on the trustees and said, you're not going to do that. We're going to buy a new, new sofa for the parsonage. Um, secondly, women were put on the board of trustees because they get things done. Uh, six years ago, four days after I got here, we bought a million dollars worth of property. I said, hello, welcome to Greer. And after a year, we decided to sell this house after we hadn't found a, a ministry use for it, keeping the land but selling the, the house. Who did we turn to to sell it? Harriet Johnson and Susan Mayberry, two members of the board of trustees, and they got it done. I remember a woman who ran a store down in Edgefield who attended the Church of Christ denomination down there where men and only men make decisions. Well, she asked me one day why it took our little Methodist church in Edgefield so long to rebuild after a fire. And I explained that we had several committees working on the building. There were the women who wanted to make sure that the kitchen and their parlor was rebuilt just right. And she interrupted me and said, the women? You let women make decisions in your church? And I looked at her and said, let them? <laughs> let them? Thank goodness we do. Women, it is within your power to do some mighty things for our Lord's work. Don't forget it. It is within your power to get your family to church, your children to church anyway, every week. Don't wait on your spiritually lazy husband. And if you just keep coming to church without nagging that fella long enough, you might be surprised that he'll start attending now and then. My sister and I, when I was a baby, and my mother would go to church. One day my four-year-old sister said, Daddy, why don't you come with us? He left his little country church and joined the city church where we were going and was active the rest of his life. Women, you have power. I've seen it dozens of times across the years as 
men have stayed inactive for a season, but when their family jumps on board and gets active in a church, most of the time, sooner or later, they hop on board as well. You have more spiritual power than you think you have. Women, it is within your power to help your family set financial priorities. You can convince your husband that you should sacrifice one night of eating out or one vacation trip or a trip to the movies or maybe one football game over at Clemson just so that you might have a little bit more money to give to the Lord's work. In return for the respect and dignity that Jesus is working for you to have, please use your means to advance his kingdom. The other point of this story is how Jesus responded to the widow before he could be asked for no reason other than the fact that his heart went out to her. She didn't ask him. She didn't have to show any faith at all. This miracle was not produced by anybody's faith other than Jesus's. And Jesus didn't even pray to God. He only spoke to the widow and to the dead son. It is wonderful to realize how closely Jesus identifies with our hurts and needs. You might wonder if God is noticing when you're devastated by grief or fear, but this story says that God not only notices his heart goes out to you, he joins you in your grief, and before you ask, he's already gone to work. Perhaps Jesus was conscious already of the fact that a day was coming when his widowed mother would see her firstborn son dying on a cross. And perhaps he was already aware that Almighty God was going to raise him up from the dead also. In our translation, we hear Jesus say to the woman, don't cry. That seems pretty cold and unfeeling. One commentator suggested that the Greek is better translated, dear woman, you no longer need to be crying. Your crying time has ended. Dear woman, your season of grief has passed. With that, Jesus addressed the dead son. The prophet Elijah cried out to God in frustration and anger, O oh Lord my God, have you brought this tragedy also here upon this widow I'm staying with, causing her son to die? Let this boy's life return to him. But the son of God just exercised his divine authority when he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. It's a fascinating detail of this story that the boy sat up and began talking. I wonder what he had to say. Had he had one of those afterlife experiences in heaven that he just couldn't wait to talk about? If you need some stories to inspire your faith in God and to give you more hopes in heaven, you ought to read some of the testimonies of people who have died on the operating table at the hospital and who were later revived. Some of them can tell their doctors what they saw being done to revive them. They can tell you what they heard being said out in the waiting room. And why do a vast majority of these resuscitated people all report the same thing, of seeing a great light 
and a being that Christians immediately identify as Jesus, while people of other faiths talk about an angel, why do they say that in the presence of this divine being, they feel total, unconditional love? Why do they report seeing loved ones that have already died? And why, after being resuscitated, do they no longer fear their own deaths? What did this young man see in the next world that he just couldn't wait to sit up and talk about? But Jesus was still thinking about the widow, and so he helped the young man get up, and he gave her her son back. Someone has said that in our daily lives, the Lord of life walks toward us as we march through our days, just as he walked with the disciples into the streets of Nain. As he walks, he encounters us loaded with grief, bearing our dead dreams and hopes, as well as our deceased loved ones to their final resting places. Then the Lord of life receives our deceased friends, bidding them to get up and come with him into heaven. And he bids us to give him our devastations. Again and again, he raises us up from sin and the deadness of life, telling us that our time of mourning is now over. We are forgiven. Because Jesus is with us, we are constantly, constantly restored from death unto life. Amen. Amen.